Good morning. Welcome to Driving Theology. It's, uh, I think, September 25th. I'm on my way to work. Uh, thanks for joining me if you're here. Turn down the air conditioner a little bit so I don't get too much noise. Uh, yeah, what's been going on with you guys? I have uh, had an eventful week. Uh, as you may know, I had a performance this last week and it was incredibly stressful. I mean, it was really, really stressful. Um, and it, that kind of ties into what I want to talk about. Um, a Facebook acquaintance of mine named uh, Jacob, who I've talked about before, probably talked about a little too much. I may have a little bit of a man crush going on. <laughs> but, uh, oops. Sorry, there's something standing up in the back of my car, but I think it's resolved itself. Uh, anyway, he had posted a picture that he had written or drawn when he was uh, uh, in high school. In high school, I believe uh, he belonged to a Pentecostal church uh, who taught eternal con conscious torment, right, uh, as their... Uh, theology of hell. In other words, uh, if you don't accept Jesus and probably uh, if you're not baptized and if you don't live a good life, blah, 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 then uh, you will be in hell for all time in a fire that never goes out and you will be tortured um, forever if you don't follow uh, God's laws. And this is, sorry, I'm trying to adjust my shoe, it's kind of funky. Um, this is a uh, prevalent idea in Christianity. I believed it at one time. Uh, it's the primary driving force behind uh, um, missionaries, I would say. I, primary. Uh, in that if we don't save people, number one... Uh, we may go to hell because we're not obeying God's law to uh, um, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And number two, uh, the people that we don't reach uh, are in danger of hellfire and damnation forever and ever and ever. And I've talked in the past about why I think uh, why I think this is. Um, uh, not uh, what number one, what the Bible, what the Bible primarily teaches, and certainly uh, it is not in line with the character of Jesus Himself, as found in the Gospels. Uh, and uh, for lots of other reasons, um, some of them are, you know, based on the, you know, the character of Jesus, of course. They're also based on scriptures and, and how uh, really, no matter, no matter what you believe, you can find it in the Bible. Uh, you can make the Bible say what you want. But it's kind of hard. It's, it's a little bit more difficult. It's not impossible. It's a little bit more difficult to make Jesus say what you want him to say when you have a view that's uh, decidedly anti-Christ. Um, anyway, this, this is come up to the forefront forefront for a couple reasons. Well, it's been probably the main thing I've thought about as far as theology the last year or two. 
one, one of the, the top things. And of course, the, uh, the, the um, other side of this is just how incredible the love of Jesus is. I think they kind of have to go hand in hand just because of um, the way I was raised and what I used to believe and, and how I have to deprogram myself um, from believing a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. Uh, and it's a process. It's it's not something that's done, and then you're you know, on to something else. It's kind of something that keeps rearing its rearing its ugly head. And part of that's because of social media. You know, there are plenty of people who still believe this and who want to um, challenge other views on on hell and judgment and and all of these things. Um, so it just keeps coming up. People want to know what happens after death. It's not going to go away. Um, so I've been talking to uh, an acquaintance uh, named uh, Jonathan Gibbards. Gibbard? Jonathan Edward Gibbards, I think is his name. He's from Australia. I've met him once. I think he may have actually stayed in our house one night, but he at least visited our house uh, several years ago. But he's a missionary in Japan. Um, and I believe him to come from a more traditional view on hell. And so this picture was drawn uh, by Jacob. Oh, sorry, I, I kind of jumped out of myself. And the picture depicted this um, traditional view of hell where there's a narrow road and it leads to heaven. And there's a crooked, wide road that leads to hell. And there are few people on the narrow road, but they are getting saved. There are many people on the wide winding road, but they are, um, you know, basically walking to their deaths, walking to hell, um, and are being killed. <clears throat> and Jacob wrote this because he believed this. And he said, you know, he said, I remember drawing this and crying at the end because of all the people walking to destruction, eternal destruction. And Jacob's story, though I'm not, I don't know it all, and I couldn't recount it all here even if I did, but basically he, he, he says that he was somewhat mentally damaged uh, by this, that it, it threw him into depression and, and, and fear and anxiety, and, and he worried about this basically day and night when he was a teenager. And I did too. Like, I, I don't, maybe it wasn't as strong as his because I come from a different tradition. Um, but basically, the, the message is the same. Uh, and that is, if you want God's grace, you have to earn it. And by earning it, you have to do this and this and this. And, and then you will, at the end of life, no matter what happens in this life, at the end of life, you will have a, an eternal reward. Um, <clears throat> and so, anyway... Reposted that picture, and I just told Jacob, I said, well, I think you're a really good artist, and I would like to see if you now could rework this into something that better reflects uh, your current views on salvation. And then Jonathan saw the post somehow. I still don't know how he saw it. He must be friends of Jacob, too. Because um, I think I didn't... I don't remember sharing it. I think I just posted it on Jacob's page. But anyway... Uh, he reposted the, uh, he, he commented, you know, it was this, Hey Mike, does hell exist? And I kind of have seen his background. I know his background is Pentecostal. I'm pretty sure he believes in a very traditional view of hell. 
eternal conscious torment and all that stuff. Anyway, 35, 36, 37 messages later in about an hour, um, I, you know, kind of told him what I thought hell was. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into that now. If I'm wrong about what Jonathan thinks, then I will, I will apologize um, to him personally. <clears throat> so I told him my idea of hell is the trying to live this life and trying to get happiness through uh, health, wealth, power, fame, um, relationships, right? Trying to get happiness through all of those things by our own power, right? By On our self-reliance and failing at it, I guess is what I should have added. I don't think I added that. And failing at it, which inevitably happens, right? You always fail uh, at some at some point in all of this. Um, and Hell is coming to the end of yourself and the pain and suffering that that causes your soul, right? You feel it at the soul level, the soul being the center of self, um, <clears throat> soul and, and very much connected to the body. Uh, coming to the end of yourself and trying to get you know, whatever it, whatever it's taking to get you to a point of humility to admit that you don't have the amount of control that you thought you had uh, and that you are not finding happiness in the world's systems, right? And the, and the you know, the, the humility it takes to realize that Jesus is, is the way, uh, that Jesus' way is true and it's right and it's good and it's better than your way. It's superior to your way in every way. Uh, and when you come to the end of yourself, uh, you're in hell. That that process is hell. Now, that can that can come out physically. You know, if if you've been trying to find find happiness uh, at the end of a needle or the bottom of a cup, um, that can have very much physical effects. If you've been trying to find happiness in in multiple sexual partners. Um, then that can have a physical effect, right? There are physical things that can go along with that. Um, but it's, it's not only physical. It can be physical. It can be only mental. <clears throat> you may seem uh, on the outside to be perfectly healthy, um, whereas on the inside uh, you just want to die or you feel like you are dead, um, which is kind of an oxymoron, I suppose, but... I mean, there it is nonetheless. Um, so, this, a light version, I would say a very light version of this, happened to me this week. I, 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 think, I think even people who do rely heavily on Jesus, or try to, who, who know Jesus well, I think... We, we uh, occasionally slip back into hell. We slip back into self-reliance. Uh, we, we slip back into trying, our, our, trying to find our identity in places besides in Him. Uh, and and f in failing at that, in, in failing um, in life, 
uh, we we come to the end of ourselves again, right? There's nothing we can do. That happened to me this last weekend, and it's in conjunction with the performance I had. I told you I'm an opera singer, and it <clears throat> I had one performance to prepare for in the last two two three months, and I I have not been singing full operas for quite a while now. Um, that's kind of how I started out, uh, but it kind of got got into more like uh, you know appearances, singing a couple songs here and there, or singing shorter pieces or even lower pieces, uh, less demanding pieces. But this was a full opera with uh, lights and staging and costumes and acting and and uh, the full nine yards. And I I I was singing a role that I've done before. Uh, in Italian, but I haven't sung it in so long that it really was almost like I had to learn it again. In fact, I learned that I learned it wrong the first time in many ways, but I haven't done it in like 23 years, so there is that. Um, but <clears throat> so I, I uh, did not prepare my voice well, and I mean physically, and there's mental mental pre preparation, I did not prepare to get through three consecutive nights of performances, and basically that were, you know, we had two dress rehearsals, well, a, a rehearsal, a final rehearsal, and then a dress rehearsal, and then the performance, three consecutive days, and my voice just gave out, um, especially the high notes, and I didn't seem to have a cold, you can probably hear my voice is a little course even now and it's three days later nearly um, and so I didn't have the high notes and I'm singing a lead part and and it's a part that people who know the opera know this know the songs that I had to sing know the, the arias and whatnot and I had to sing some pretty high notes and my my high notes just gave out you know two two days before so the the final rehearsal before the dress rehearsal, I just didn't have it, and I, my, my notes cracked, right, uh, the second, the second rehearsal, they cracked again, and so now I'm, I'm at the performance, and all this time, I'm just beside myself, there's nothing to be done, right, literally nothing I could do in the time I had to get my voice prepared, it kind of just had to happen on its own. And I was powerless, uh, with the exception of maybe sleeping a little bit, you know, a few extra hours if I could, but I couldn't because I was just too distraught over what was going on with my voice. I had no understudy. There was no double cast. There was nobody to step in and take my place. I just had to do it. No matter how bad it was, I had no out. And so I was just despairing over this, you know, for the last three or four days. Um, I had, I had started uh, seeing my identity in those high notes, you know. If, if I couldn't hit those high notes, who do people think that I am? Are they, am I going to ruin the performance because of my inability to hit those high notes? And I became so fixated, or fixated, on those high notes uh, and on my voice that I, I failed to look at the situation in a spiritual way. And my friend Cam, who happens to be staying at my house this week, uh, 
he just very gently pointed out, he said, well, you know your identity doesn't lie in your ability to sing well. Your identity is safe in Christ. And I just took a huge breath. And, you know, of course he's right. Of course that's right. Christ has already solidified my identity in him. He's already done it all. Nothing else uh, really, truly matters. And by taking that pressure off of my shoulders on performing night, um, as Christ worked through my friend Cam, uh, I was able to do much better than I thought I would be able to. And it turned out okay. I haven't heard a recording, so I can't tell you <clears throat> exactly how it turned out. But I can tell you I didn't crack on my high notes, and in fact, some of my high notes, high notes were full, uh, quite full. And up to that point, they had been really good. Um, but just from a, a lack of recent experience, I did not manage my voice well. And stuff happens, and that's live performances, right? That's the that's what singing live is about, you know. You, you can just uh, fake it in the recording studio, you know, turn the mics up or, you know, do some kind of a filter or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. Uh, you can also say, hey, we're going to record tomorrow, not today. Uh, but, you know, when the tickets are sold and the, the venue's leased and there's, you know, 50 other people in the cast all ready to go, you can't just cancel the entire thing for you. It just doesn't work that way. So... Um, there was a lot of pressure on me for three days um, probably more than three days but it, it really came to a head those three days uh, and I can say that more than you know the last couple of years I was, I was in hell right there I had come to the end of myself and I realized that I was not enough that I could not control what I needed to control. And I wasn't relying on Christ at the time. And I was throwing my full identity into my problem, right? Into my inadequacy. And I was in hell. Now, is that the only kind of hell there is? Probably not. But I think, I think that releasing of um, the, the trying to care about your own identity you know, to release that um, responsibility, I guess to release responsibility for your identity from yourself to Christ uh, brought me back to a much better place, a much more peaceful place. Um, and, and it helped immensely. You know, it just, it took a load off my shoulders and, and a lot of that losing of that tension, I think, uh, helped in, in bringing my voice back a little bit and I'm very grateful to uh, Jesus and Cam for you know reassuring me that that my uh, identity was not my responsibility and that no matter what happened my identity was safe it was locked up it was uh, in Christ and so in a sense I went from hell to heaven is that the only kind of hell I have a feeling that's the only kind of hell, but I don't know. But I don't think it'll only be in this world. I think some people will take that 
uh, to the grave and to whatever awaits us beyond the grave and that there will still be a time uh, for people to work through that stuff you know for people to to work through it and to to come to the end of their self and then they will be allowed to rely on Christ whether it's in this life or the next and that's my that's my universalist hope that's my hopeful universalism um, that's not the only time I've experienced hell it, it comes and goes um, but as I as I successfully am led from hell to heaven each time I think I I grow right my my perspective grows uh, on who Christ is and just what the work he's doing in the world is um, now I've got other performances coming up in the next you know month or so next couple months uh, I don't know how I'll handle those, um, but I hope that I've learned from this experience and that I can that I can grow in, in maturity a bit and be able to um, walk more solidly than I did before, relying on Jesus to uh, to hold my identity in Him. Uh, or if you don't say identity, you can say identity. <laughs> Sometimes I speak like that because I'm an English teacher. Anywho, um, yeah. So yeah, I know, I'm back to hell. Uh, I've talked about it probably a little bit too much. But I, I just can't, I can't let it go because people still hold on to it so solidly. They're so convinced that it exists and that their their mission is to warn people that they will be tortured forever. Since I'm already here, let's just reiterate why I don't think that's the case. Number one, Jesus didn't talk about hell. He talked about a place called Gehenna. Gehenna was a place outside the city where they burned trash at different times. That's also where idols were worshipped and babies or children were sacrificed. It's also where they burned dead bodies. It was a horrible place known as a place of idolatry, murder, and pagan worship, not to mention trash and fire. That's, that's what Jesus referred to when he talked about hell, Gehenna, an actual place that people knew about. They knew what he was talking about. Everybody did then. Uh, there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Uh, possibly because people were there to pick through the garbage and they were poor and suffering. Or uh, perhaps they were there because their loved ones have died. They couldn't afford a religious burial and they just had to burn them on the trash heap. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever. Regardless of the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, which refers to sorrow and anger, um, that is the result of people trying to uh, live uh, by pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, right? Uh, by their identity being uh, squarely placed upon their ability to perform uh, certain things or provide certain things um, or to know certain things. Another 
uh, big idol, right? And so all of these things that you you try to find your identity in besides Christ are idols, right? If I, I had I was idolizing my voice or music or whatever you want to call it, my talent. Um, people idolize their degrees, right? Um, you know, they've gone to seminary or whatever. That becomes an idol. Uh, they they idolize their ability to have certain knowledge, no matter the field. Uh, their ability to do certain physical things, to run or to jump like uh, professional athletes. And when that's taken away, they come to the end of themselves, right? They lose their identity because it's not solidly placed in anywhere. It's, it's very perilously placed on their human frame, structure, consciousness, knowledge, right? Uh, which is shaky at best and non-existent at worst. Worst, at worst, at worst, liver worst, liver worse. I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I think for me right now that that's kind of where I've landed on this. Hell is a place you can be in this life or the next, but it's that process of you coming to the end of yourself, right? And we all do that. Uh, I think. I think. I think that's what baptism by fire is. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one to, to ever have had that idea, though I don't know that I've read that anywhere. But I think. I think that believers, the process of becoming a believer in this life, is a baptism by fire in a sense. It's. It's. It's really. Uh, torture for some people and for some people they do it lightly at first and don't realize what they've gotten into and later the torture comes and it either ends or it doesn't um, because some people uh, even though they may have come to the end of themselves they don't believe they have and so this process uh, uh, Johnny who's been on the podcast a couple times he brought up the definition of insanity is uh, trying to um, trying to achieve change, but never achieving what you're doing, or trying to get this, trying to get yeah, trying to get change, but not change. What is the idea? Okay, what is it? Hold on. There's a better way to say it. The definition of insanity is. Wanting something different, but not changing what you're doing. Trying to get something different by doing the same things you've always done. Or something like that. It's something similar to that anyway. Um, I forgot now. I spent so much time on that, trying to remember that stupid phrase. I can't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> but anyway... Um, yeah, that's what happens when you try to rely on yourself. Over and over, you you think, well, yeah, I failed that time, but hey, I can do it. I failed again, but I can do it. I'll do it this time. I'll do it this time. Surely I can do it. Surely I'm not this unreliable or this incapable or you know this incompetent. Um, and so you you continually just believe in yourself, right? And this is 
This is a big mantra of, of today. Believe in yourself. You just have to believe in yourself. Um, you have to, and last week we talked about love yourself. You just have to love yourself. You can't love others till you love yourself. Believe in yourself. Love yourself. This is the, to me, this is the, the center of new age philosophy uh, and theology. Um, the problem is self-love and self-reliance constantly fail. We are constantly unlovable and we are constantly unreliable. And so where's your identity then, right? But if you embrace your unlovableness, if you embrace your unreliableness and realize that Jesus loves you just the same, despite how lovable you are or how competent you are, that he loves you just the same, and you begin to realize just how much love that would take for one person to have, to put up with every single bad thing that anyone ever did. Anyone ever did. I said bunny, any bunny, anyone, anybody. Uh, that is the one thing that can have an effect on changing you. The reliance on Jesus and the acceptance of his grace and the the contemplation of how deep his love is for you. <clears throat> it's like the old Bee Gees song, you know. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know. Right? Because we're living in a world of truth. Breaking us down. I need to look at those words. That's pretty deep, actually. <laughs> uh, but we do need to know how deep Christ's love is for us. And when you know that, then it will start having a transformative effect on your life. You can't rely on yourself to look like Christ. You just can't. He's got to do it through you. And the way he does that through you is constantly reminding you of how much he loves you. And as you soak that up, as you lean into that, as you believe it, you will be transformed by that process. And I know I keep coming back to this, saying the same stuff, but man, this stuff's important. Hell is not believing how much Christ loves you what it comes down to it's not leaning into that love it's not relying on that love when you keep trying to prove that you can behave that you can stop doing that sin that you can you can know this and know that and that that you can overcome just by muscle and grit when you come to the end of that folly you have come through hell you have been baptized through fire and you've come into the light and you are now ready to be remade in the image of Christ you're a new creation right and this process to me it feels like it's it's 
for a while it was one step forward, two steps back. Now it feels like it's two steps forward, one step back. <clears throat> and I think that just gets better. I have to believe it gets better. I hope that it get, it's, gets better in life. Um, so my message to my friend and brother, Jonathan, is... Let's embrace the love. Let's love the light more than the dark. Uh, let's lean into the light. Let's continue to talk. Let's not be so darn sure of ourselves. Be ready to uh, embrace more grace. And the embracing of that grace will produce more maturity more Christ-likeness. Love will increase. Fear will decrease. Um, sorrows will continue, continue to come and go, but they don't have to destroy you. They don't have to drag you down to hell. The gates of hell will not prevail. Right? The gates of hell will not prevail. They will not keep you shut in. The gates of hell are not locked. Okay? If you're in hell, you can come out. If you're going to go in hell, just know there's a way out. And you will be brought low. We are all brought low. And the way that I described this week of me being brought low was nothing compared to so many people I know. Nothing. Nothing at all. And I realize that, and I want to acknowledge that. I've, I've had other things that have brought me low. Uh, this is just a recent thing that I wanted to share with you. But I'm in no way trying to uh, convince you. Um, I, I didn't even come to tears, okay? Let's say it that way. Uh, it did not bring me to tears. Uh, I was angry. Um, and I was, I was close to despair. But I was, I was given uh, a lifeline by my friend, uh, Christ in my friend. And uh, I pray that the same will happen to you when, when the bad things come. And they will. They just will. doesn't matter how you know, big your degree is in theology or, or you know, how many scriptures you've memorized. Uh, it doesn't matter... Uh, how many people you've brought to Christ. It doesn't matter how often you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much money you've put in the collection plate. It doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you've said. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how many crucifixes you may have in your house. Um, and I have a new appreciation for crucifixes, by the way, uh, because of uh, Brian Zond, who I've been reading. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I'm going to cut this off here really quick I'm just about at work I do hope that I've gotten all this it's not always the case it looks like I may have um, and I, again I appreciate you guys for listening to my uh, my uh, ramblings the ramblings of a madman and I wish you guys peace and I, I, I wish for you and for me and for everyone that we just see how solidly our identity is protected 
and safe in Christ and that you need not rely on your ability to perform in this life uh, to be considered valuable, to be considered loved. Uh, if, if you are not feeling loved, not feeling valuable, I pray that, that uh, Jesus will send somebody to you to convey his love. Um, I don't think just reading the Bible is going to do it, though, though that may be a place to start. Um, I think human touch is, is something that we need, human interaction, human touch. So I pray that, that God will send someone to you soon. Uh, and I pray that we all look out for those people, for the, for the people on the fringes who are, who are lonely, who are, who are outcast or ostracized uh, for whatever reason. I pray that you will, you will have contact and be loved and feel loved soon. Uh, but at this point, I hope that you can just believe me uh, when I say that you are loved. Uh, and you guys have a great day.